Hi there. I'm Dr. Sarah Wilson, naturopathic doctor, author, practice mentor, researcher, and passionate connector of the dots of health. As the medical director of Advanced Women's Health and the founder of Naturopathic Clinical Mentorship, I help patients and practitioners to deeply understand the connection between hormones and inflammation so that they can improve their most complex health concerns or cases. Advanced Women's Health, the podcast, is a space for practitioners and discerning health consumers to learn about cutting-edge research in the area of women's health. Before we get started, though, let's set the ground rules. This information is not meant to diagnose or treat. I am a doctor, but not your doctor. I completely understand that you're going to want to implement some of these strategies. We are talking about really compelling stuff, but please always do so with a medical practitioner's support. So let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to today's episode. Before we dive in, I just want to give a huge thank you to everyone who has reached out since I started publishing these episodes again. It is always so heartwarming to hear people be like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited, or really just celebrating the fact that they have a place to go and find research. So thank you so much to everyone who has reached out and said that. Um, If you want to reach out and give me your thanks, you don't necessarily always have to do it in my inbox. You can always leave a review for this podcast as well to help other people find it. But without further ado, let us dive into today's episode. So today's episode, we're going to talk about the impact of thyroid autoimmunity on premature premature ovarian insufficiency or diminished ovarian reserve, depending on what you're looking at. And this is something I've seen in my practice for years now, the relationship between these things. And more and more research is coming out to explain why that is. But it's to the point that in my practice, I have not seen a case of premature ovarian insufficiency. It used to be called POF. Um, They've changed the terminology. So it's from premature ovarian failure to insufficiency. So in that, I've not seen a patient who either I've made that diagnosis or they come in with that diagnosis not have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So this can, there is a relationship between amenorrhea and irregular cycles um, and AMH changes, et cetera, that we'll get into today with both Graves and Hashimoto's. But from my standpoint, Hashimoto's is the main relationship that I see. And Hashimoto's is an incredibly common autoimmune condition. It's one of the most common autoimmune conditions in general, affecting about one in eight women. And so obviously not every woman who has Hashimoto's needs to be investigated for POI. And so that is something that we need to, as clinicians, both understand um, and also recognize where it's important to do those further investigations um, and give a lot of informed consent around that, which we'll talk about. But alas, I hear all of the time practitioners not even recognize that there is this relationship. So they're not necessarily looking for symptoms of POI in their patients with Hashimoto's. They're not making those correlations for people early. And it's something that can definitely easily be missed. um, But it's something that I think as practitioners, we need to know the relationship and then identify where it's important to investigate. So that's what we're talking about today. A research article recently came out. It's called Thyroid Autoimmunity is Associated with a Higher Risk of Premature Ovarian Insufficiency, a Nationwide Health Insurance Research Database Study. So this is one of many articles, um, but it was one that recently came out, and I do think it's a helpful one because it gives an overview of a lot of different things. And so setting the stage for this, 
as naturopathic doctors, we are really on the front lines of both thyroid and hormonal investigations. So I can tell you that 90% of my patients who come in who have a diagnosis of hypothyroidism do not know if it's Hashimoto's or not. And then when we look at the patients who have absolute hormonal chaos, the majority of them are not coming in with a good panel of blood work. And I obviously am going to attract patients. And I know for a lot of you guys, you want to do the same thing. You want to attract patients who want more data about their bodies. You want to attract patients who want to do the blood work so that you can do your job. And so my brand has become associated with labs. And I think that is big piece of why we get the types of patients we have coming in because they're like, I want more data about my body. I want this blood work. I want to understand what's going on. And so we have the privilege of being able to see all of these different pieces. And I think when you have a brand that's associated with using that blood work and using that data to get amazing patient results, you can build that too. And that's what I hope for everyone. If that's what you want in your practice, I just want you to know that you very much can achieve that. And so when we're looking at these kind of both thyroid and hormonal health investigations, we are going to be the people who are responsible for, like I said, empowering patients with that information. And even if you have, if you work, let's say, primarily with fertility and that's your goal, I can tell you from seeing a lot of collaboration with fertility clinics that they understand the POI piece, right? So they're going to see a variety of changes on lab work that we'll get into. Um, and they're going to say, okay, you have POI. Do you want to do donor eggs? Do you want to try a cycle? What, like, what do you want to do? Right. But then they kind of stop there the majority of the time. And even with a lot of my patients, um, I have had patients who've undergone multiple rounds of assisted reproductive therapies and then we do blood work and they have Hashimoto's and their TSH is four. So Our goal in this is to be the integrator. Our goal in this is to understand, okay, whether a patient's coming in with either of these diagnoses, knowing how they both fit together and then making massive change um, in terms of not only understanding, but treatment for that patient, because you're not necessarily going to be able to give that patient back the eggs that are gone. It's just the reality. But what you can do is depending on where you're catching it, in the stages, you can slow that down. You can work on the antibodies. You can give them a higher chance of pregnancy, whether it's with their eggs or not, because obviously thyroid antibodies are highly associated with a variety of fertility issues, which we'll get into. So essentially, when do we need to think about this? I know this is going to be the question for a lot of people is like, how do I know? Because You don't want to tell every patient. And I am very, very careful when I am talking to people about this risk. So if I have a patient who comes in who's under 40 years old, they have less than 26-day cycles, they have cyclical hot flashes or heavy light cycles. I see that a lot. One cycle is like a gusher. The other one is really light. Um, Sometimes it is consistently really heavy cycles that have gotten worse. Um, Or if I have a a patient whose period has stopped absence of PCOS, prolactin issues, then that's really when I'm thinking about thyroid health for sure, thyroid autoimmunity, but also that connection. So when I'm having this discussion with patients, and I actually had this just the other day. So what I say to someone is, okay, this patient, for example, she was, I believe she was 35-ish in that range, 35, 36. And she came in, she had a variety of health concerns, um, definitely looked autoimmune. I always say my spidey senses, people are like, 
why do you think it's this? I'm like, I don't know my spidey senses. I'm trying to get better at that. Sorry to all the people in my programs. But from that standpoint, looked autoimmune. Um, she, her cycles were anywhere between kind of 23, 24, and then 26, 27 days. So they would alternate. Um, she was getting sleep disturbances. She was getting hot flashes. Um, she was getting vaginal dryness. She just noticed a lot of changes in her body. Like she was like, I just feel like I'm aging all of a sudden. And so from that standpoint, she'd had her kids. She was like, I'm not really that worked up about like why my cycles are shortening or shortening from a health, like reproductive perspective, but from a health perspective, I am. And so we also had, I noticed some signs and symptoms of thyroid issues in her as well. So I was like, okay, you know what? We should probably test your thyroid if you want to understand what's going on, because there is this relationship between premature ovarian insufficiency or essentially early menopause, quote unquote, um, as people would call that. If you're heading into that period early, there is that association between thyroid autoimmunity. So we can just test your thyroid, see what's going on there. Um, or we can test these other reproductive health markers. In her situation, I explained that it's not necessarily for fertility outcomes that we're concerned, but if you go through, if you have a low estrogen level, if you're not making progesterone earlier in life, you're going to have more risk factors in terms of cardiovascular health and bone health and brain health. It's like estrogen is so critical for brain health. So I was like, if we have an understanding of what we're looking at now, we'll know what testing to do. Do we need to do functional testing like the Dutch test? Do we need to do serum hormones? Like what, what do we need to do on a more consistent basis to make sure that you have the hormonal levels you need for your body? And so we did the testing um, and we got, we got it back. So I got it back last week. So from that standpoint, um, she does have a high FSH. She does have a decreased AMH. Um, she does have a decreased level of her day three estradiol. And so in those situations that associated with autoimmunity, um, we're going to see those signs and symptoms. So that's really the progress that we, we need to be making in her case to further understand like what is the autoimmunity relationship and then how, I guess, how do we progress in terms of understanding what level of estradiol she needs um, and what level of hormone replacement therapy she needs. So that's just one example. I unfortunately see this more in my practice now than I ever have before. Um, so I do think one, there's more awareness around it. Two, probably I'm looking for it more if I'm being completely honest, right? There is definitely that investigator bias piece that if you look for something, oftentimes you'll find it. So um, I'm looking for that more with informed consent. And that would be very different than I have patients all the time who have a little bit of a wonky cycle. And I say to them, listen, we can test your thyroid first. If anything comes up there, then we can investigate. But the reality is that a low AMH does not does not directly correlate with fertility outcomes. I have patients with a low AMH and then a high AFC. So antral follicle count during a cycle is normal. It's completely fine. So those things aren't necessarily going to directly correlate with fertility outcomes. Um, and I don't necessarily want to see someone panicking when they see that their FSH is creeping up and then they see that their AMH is low um, because it doesn't necessarily mean that they need to 
dive right in to IVF. They can if they want to, and that information can be very empowering. But I've also had patients who have that information who choose to then start to try to conceive on their own naturally earlier. They were like on a three to five year timeline and they decided, you know what, a family is important to us. We're just going to dive in and do that because they had that luxury um, and they got pregnant naturally. So we're not necessarily, It's. It, I guess it's really important when you're talking about these things in more of the latter case as opposed to the former where that patient had had her kid. She was like, I'm good to go. Like, I just want to know what's happening in my body. That's more of a proactive health approach as opposed to a, like, do I have intercourse without a condom right now to try to get pregnant? Um, So education is power. It's very important to give people that information about their bodies, but with informed consent, because I have a lot of patients when I offer them that, they would rather just try on their own timeline um, than have that information And that is completely fine. I always say, I am not God. My blood work is never going to dictate whether you can get pregnant or not. It's just the reality. Miracles happen every day. So um, important things to talk about with your patients though. So in this study, um, essentially they, it was a review of a health insurance database. So they were looking at the relationship between thyroidotal immunity and um, POI. So there's going to be a lot of like a lot of things holding the study back, I guess, meaning we know how many patients aren't diagnosed with thyroid autoimmunity. Uh, We also know how many patients aren't diagnosed with POI. So I think it's even showing a limited scope of how closely these things are related, but nonetheless, important to consider. So previous studies have shown um, that out of women with like women who successfully conceived um, versus women who were struggling to conceive, there was 18% of them um, had thyroid autoimmunity in the group of women who were experiencing fertility challenges versus 8% in women who did conceive. So that is just going to show you kind of one of the disparities that we see there. Um, We also know that For example, thyroid autoimmunity is associated not only with a lower level of potentially total egg count, um, but it's also associated with a decreased oocyte fertilization rate, decreased embryo quality, decreased pregnancy rates in general, and higher miscarriage rates. So all of these reasons are very important, even outside of POI, to be diagnosing thyroid autoimmunity in patients. And it's to the point that if I have a patient who has conceived once and has any symptoms, um, and I said conceived once, right? So they could have had a miscarriage or termination and still have a risk of of thyroid autoimmunity postpartum or after that period of time. And so I am, when I have a patient coming in with any thyroid symptoms, I'm now just testing because there is such a strong correlation between thyroid health and future fertility. So Then, um, according to this report, so approximately one in 100 women by the age of 40 um, did experience POI, whereas if someone has like Hashimoto's, then that goes up to 18.1 per thousand people. Um, And then the incidence in Graves' disease was about 18 per thousand. So they're showing that there is a direct correlation um, between both thyroid autoimmunity, I guess, because Graves is just more rare. I don't necessarily see that correlation. And so why we think this happens, because that's something I get asked all of the time is why it's like, okay, what's the connection here? And for a while, we thought that the thyroid tissue might quote unquote, look like there might be molecular mimicry. Um, I guess, 
it, they look similar <laughs> uh, to the ovaries. That's what we thought. That like from a reproductive standpoint, those two things were, were similar tissue types. Now we're not quite sure, but we do know that T4 is directly involved in folliculogenesis and found in the follicular fluid. So if you're going to have alterations in T4, you're going to see issues. We also know that um, the anti-TPO antibody, there is a damage reaction to the ovarian tissue um, and antithyroid antibodies are detected in the thyroid um, ovarian follicles. So there is something, again, about that serum thyroglobulin and thyroid peroxidase that is directly involved with that tissue. Um, and so they believe that there might be this kind of cytotoxic reaction or destruction of the follicular oocytes that is involved. We also know um, that there is this tendency of autoantigens to migrate through lymphoid tissue and activate the T cells and induce reactions in different areas of the body. That's why we can see autoimmune processes um, like creep, right? That's what I often say is they creep. It's like you get a new one every five to 10 years. Um, and there is an involvement there in terms of the communication between T cells throughout the body and how these autoantigens become activated. Because we have autoantigens at all time. That's essentially when our body is sampling and it's like, oh yeah, I'll try this. And we should have these regulatory mechanisms that come in and shut that down, right? So we should have the thymus gland involved. We should have T regulatory cells. Um, there's a variety of different checkpoints, I guess, in which those things should be filtered out. And so if they're not, and then we have this secondary activation of T and B cells, then there's more, there's more of a likelihood that we're going to have other autoantigens that are activated in the system. So that's kind of where we think, what we think is happening. Now, when we look at what we should do to measure this, because I kind of danced around it with, with different patient cases, but we really should be measuring TSH, T3, T4, anti-TPO and anti-TG. So yes, oftentimes people will say that TPO is more associated, is more commonly positive and so they can't test TG, but I find TG is more symptomatic and I actually have a previous podcast in which we talk about that. So both of those are important. AMH can be helpful. So anti-malarian hormone, again, as I said though, can be unreliable. So I do, I think it's very important to have informed consent around that test. Um, AFC is preferred if you can get access to it. Uh, we're also looking at day three FSH, LH, and estradiol. Um, I like to run DHEAS and testosterone as well. I don't necessarily have a preference for cycle day on those ones, so they can run it all on day three. And the reason for that is because DHEAS is highly associated with immunological responses. So it is just something that I want to get a pulse on androgens. DHEAS and testosterone are also very involved in egg quality. So another thing to think about if you're trying to maximize the quality of the egg someone has left. Day 21 progesterone can just tell you if they've ovulated and the health of the corpus luteum as well. So that's getting into mitochondrial health and things we've talked about in the past. Um, and then there is some discussion about ovulatory estradiol and running that. Um, and that's, again, just kind of trying to give us an estimation of the health of the granulosa cells. So then what do we do about it? I think that's the next question. And so from that standpoint, I think it's still very, very important to address the autoimmune component. So not only do we need to give someone the thyroid hormones that they need, right, whether that is you're prescribing 
a thyroid pharmaceutical or someone else is prescribing it on your behalf, depending on your scope, I think it's very important to get the right amount of T4 because as we talked about, it's involved in folliculogenesis. It's involved in so many different areas of health. It's also the primary thing that the placenta is going to allow the fetus to use. Um, And so from that standpoint, T4 is very important. We also want to prevent that kind of creeping autoimmunity. And so in that sense, we we really need to do a full overview of the autoimmune responses in the body. Then we're looking at egg quality and mitochondrial health and supporting those things. Because again, if you do have a patient who their goal is to get pregnant, then you want to make sure that you're giving them the best chances possible. So that includes addressing the autoimmunity from a miscarriage risk perspective, from an ovarian health perspective. Um, but then we're also going to look at addressing mitochondrial health, egg quality, etc. Then we also, like I said, want to take action and help our patients, if fertility is the goal, to take action on that. So are they going to try to conceive earlier? Are they going to try to freeze their eggs, but only if AFC is high enough, right? Because the attrition rate is very high for eggs compared to embryos. So if they have a partner, okay, they could free some embryos. Um, But if they don't have a partner and they're trying to take action on it themselves, then I also think it's just very important to do informed consent around how many of those eggs you need. Um, it's, It's such an important conversation. So that's going to be important. And then outside of the fertility context, like I said, with my patient, um, from that perspective, we need to be considering brain health, bone health, etc. All of these different things are really important to support your patient with and educate them with. So limitations of the study, I always think it's important to cover this. And like I said, we covered it briefly, but we this was based specifically on diagnosis. So it wasn't based on how high TSH, TPO, T3, T4 levels were. Um, It wasn't based on AMH. It wasn't based on FSH. They didn't actually pull that data out. They were just using diagnostic codes. So I would arguably say that, yes, all of that is still valid, but we need to magnify the impact. And some studies have shown that it's like 30% of women with thyroid autoimmunity that have POI. Um, I would say that's a little bit on the high end. So we have to find a middle range um, and look at the impacts in our practices. But the only way to look at the impacts in your practices is really to test and to understand and to empower patients. So if you see a patient with thyroid thyroid condition first find out if it's autoimmune. If you then see their cycles changing prematurely, getting short, light, heavy cycles, hot flashes, night sweats, mood changes, weight changes. Um, If you see brain fog creeping in, which is hard with thyroid autoimmunity, let's be honest, brain fog is a big component. But if you see these cycle changes, then just have an educated and empowered discussion with patients. Even if you see that their cycle's gone for no other known reason, have a conversation with your patients. And just don't forget that they, you're guiding, I always say, I'm the one who's guiding it, but they're in the driver's seat of their health. So they can make choices, but we need to offer them the options to make choices. We need to not be the people who just sit there and decide, yeah, okay, it's not worth testing. You need to let them make that choice for themselves and invite patients into their health and into those decisions. So I hope this was really helpful. If you have not been considering this in your thyroid patients, please do start considering this. Um, And I hope you had some light bulb moments in today's episode. So until next time, start doing some testing start to take action on autoimmunity, consider your hormonal health patients, and I will talk to you very, very soon. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, I would love a review because that is how more people find out about us and ultimately get well. If you are a medical practitioner and you're interested in taking one of my courses to learn how to implement these research strategies, see naturopathicmentorship.com. If you're a patient, we have a couple of options. I can try to hook you up with one of my trained practitioners, or alternatively, if you have a practitioner you love, I do offer one-on-one consults about your case to support that practitioner in learning further. For more information on these strategies, see the show notes. And finally, if you just want to keep in touch, I am always active on Instagram and Facebook, and I look forward to connecting with you there. Have a great day and be well.